And now it's time on Flame CCR to take a look behind the studio's green door to find out who is in today's chat room. Midnight, one more night without sleeping. Watching till the morning comes creeping. Green door, what's that secret you're keeping? And now, are you listening? So, welcome to Chat Room on Flame, and uh, we have a double portion, two for the price of one. My guests today are husband and wife, Barry and Alison Barnett, and they both have amazing testimonies and amazing stories. So, uh, let me say, uh, first of all, hello to Alison, who is a native of this area. This is a community radio station, so uh, Alison, just say a little bit about yourself and your home background. Okay, so I'm born and bred Scouser, Nick. I was born, brought up in Liverpool. I'm still there now. We've just come back. My dad's Jewish, of Lithuanian descent. My great-grandmother and grandfather, who was only three years old, came over on the boat from Vilnius in Lithuania in 1910. And... uh, Got off the boat at Liverpool, knowing it was Liverpool. Legend has it that some people got off the boat thinking it was New York, which is a bad mistake to make. But they knew they wanted to be off in Liverpool. Her brothers had set up a tailoring business, so they came up. She remarried. Her husband had died in Vilnius. And then when my grandfather married later on, my father was the first that they had, and he had a, a younger brother. And he was born into a kosher, orthodox Jewish family. He spoke Yiddish, learned Hebrew, went to synagogue every week. So that's his background. And then he married someone. My mum's not Jewish. Uh, they got married nearly 50 years ago now, so they've been married a long time, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. Yes, both teachers. Yeah, I'm currently teaching, so it's a bit of a family business. And just say where you went to school in Liverpool, because this has a a personal connection for me. Yes, I went to Belvedere. I did. I went to Belvedere, and uh, I did meet Nick's wife. She remembers me. (laughs) She was was Mrs. Hancock then, and she's Mrs. Cowan now, and of course she ended up leading Christian Union. And it was at Belvedere, Alison, am I right, that you started to experience Christianity for the first time? Yes, that's right. I had an experience in an assembly when I was 11. So what would now be what we call year seven, they were playing music from the monastery in France and Tay verses from when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And I knew in that assembly that Jesus was Lord. So knew he was Lord. I had believed in God from a little girl, although my family, we never talked about religion or ever went to church or synagogue or anything. But I also knew at 11 that I was not able to go out on my own, didn't know any of the Christians and didn't actually commit till I was 16. A friend of mine was the daughter of a local vicar and she invited me to a youth outreach and I went and I felt right at home. And then I ended up leading the CU at Belvedere as well in my wow. sixth year. Yes. Fantastic. That was a quick pen portrait of Alison. <laughs> now, Barry, let's move across to you. You're from a different part of the world, aren't you? And uh, supporters of your football team are not popular in Liverpool uh, at the moment. <laughs> but uh, tell us a bit about yourself. That's right. I'm from London and my amazing football team is Tottenham Hotspur Football Club. And right now, not too popular because Spurs have just beaten Liverpool 4-1. Sorry, Liverpool fans. So, yes, I grew up in North London in Wembley and then we moved to West Hampstead. And I'm Jewish and I grew up in pretty much a very warm, lovely synagogue community in Wembley. 
And I had a bar mitzvah when I was 13 years old where I practiced a lot in Hebrew with the rabbi in order to read in the synagogue. And I remember at first the rabbi was in tears because uh, I just couldn't get the hang of the Hebrew at all. But eventually my parents were in tears of joy and pride because I managed to get the Hebrew and read in the synagogue. Very proud moment. And little did I know how important the words from the Bible were that I was reading at that time. Alison and Barry have chosen all the songs today and they all obviously have a Jewish connection. This first song is by a group called Hebron and it features a name that will be familiar to some of our listeners on Flame, the name of Helen Shapiro. And I remember Helen Shapiro being at the top of the charts when I was in primary school, so I'm now 67, so that dates Helen. But this is a wonderful chapter from the Hebrew Scriptures, which we call the Old Testament. Uh, They are the Jewish Scriptures and from Isaiah chapter 53, this is Hebron. Thank you. 
Okay, so that's uh, probably my favourite chapter from the Old Testament, is Isaiah 53, sung there by Hebron, Helen Shapiro, and Chrissy Rogers and Simon Elman. We've got some good music today. You do stay listening to Flame and listen to this chat room because the music is good. But let's go back to our guests. Now, I came across you when you worked for an organisation called Jews for Jesus. Tell us about that and how it brought you together. I went to Bible College in Hertfordshire, a mission college. I actually didn't know I was Jewish until I got the nick. I should probably explain that. I came to faith when I was 16, but because my father comes from an Orthodox Jewish background, Orthodox Jewish people believe that you can only be Jewish if your mother is Jewish. And this comes out of a ruling in the Middle Ages to protect the bloodline. You could definitively prove who your mother was, and so therefore you could say if the child was Jewish or not. Although in scripture it's clear it's male or female, but I didn't know that, and uh, daughter's been told, oh, well, I'm not Jewish because my mum isn't. So came to faith and then went to Bible college 18 years after I committed to Jesus. And whilst I was there, I started learning Hebrew, and my father had given me his Torah. You know, it's the first five books, and it's what Jewish people learn at the Sunday school. They learn how to read Hebrew. And he'd given it me so that it would help me when I was starting to learn Hebrew for myself. And my teacher at the Bible college was a man called Richard Harvey, who's quite a well-known Jewish believer and ethnic yes. Jew. And he got very excited when he saw me with the Torah and wanted to know where I'd got it from. And I told him, oh, my dad had given it me and my dad was Jewish. And he got even more excited and said, oh, that's great. So you're Jewish then. And I I was a bit shocked, Nick, because I didn't think of myself as Jewish at all. And I told Richard that he was wrong, which was, in retrospect, a bit silly, really. But there you go. And uh, Richard said, oh, well, don't you know your Bible? You know, he's the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. The male line is where the genealogies come through and circumcisions on the man. So, yes, you are. And uh, God revealed to me that, yes, indeed, I was Jewish because my dad was Jewish. And I knew I had a call to the Middle East. I'd gone to Bible college knowing that. And I had been thinking about Egypt or Syria. And over the next few weeks, God revealed that it wasn't Egypt or Syria. In fact, it was Israel. Obviously, being Jewish was quite an important element of that. And I began to volunteer with Jewish for Jesus on my placement for Bible college because Richard had been the director there and thought it would be a good fit for what I was thinking about. And Barry and I actually met at a Hanukkah party in 2005. Do you want to explain Hanukkah? I yes. think some of our listeners will yes. know Hanukkah. <laughs> Hanukkah is the festival that celebrates the legend of the Maccabees. So when in about 164 BC, there was a Syrian king who basically took over Jerusalem and he put a pig on the altar in the temple, basically trying to get the Jews to stop following their religion and just become Greek. And there was an uprising led by the high priest and he was of the Maccabee family and his sons led the revolt. And three years later, they defeated the king and they re-sanctified the temple. In the temple, there had been this huge golden candelabra. You can read this story in the Maccabees books and the Apocrypha. But legend has it that when they got to rededicate the temple, they only had one day's oil and they needed eight days oil to go to Jerusalem and then come back. So they lit the candle and the candle burned for eight days. Oh. And so Hanukkah celebrates that festival. So we have eight days worth of candles. We light a candle each day. We have a Hanukkah, which is a nine-branch candelabra. And we give presents and we sing songs and we tell the story of what happened. I was just thinking it's a bit more biblical than Christmas. Well, just a little bit, and yes. It is, it is referred to in the New Testament, isn't it? Yes. They talk about it in, I think it's John chapter 10. Jesus is walking in the colonnades during the time of the Feast of Dedication. 
and that's the other name for Hanukkah. And you eat fried food, potato pancakes, which are called latka, and donuts. So it's one of my favourite festivals from a food point of view, certainly, because I love fried food. So we always have a Hanukkah party and we tell the story and we sing songs and we remember Jesus because actually the Hanukkah with its nine branch candelabra, there's a main branch right in the centre and it's called the servant's candle and you light every other candle with it, the eight days. And so we link that to Jesus as the servant Fantastic. king. This is our God, the servant king. He calls us now to follow him, to bring our lives as a daily offering of worship to Well, let's hear that story from Barry's point of view now. And Barry, Alison said she went down from Liverpool to Hertfordshire. You weren't far in North London from Hertfordshire. So uh, just tell the story from your point of view of how you and Alison came to meet. Yes, that's right. Just to fill in a gap in the meantime. So after my bar mitzvah when I was 13, I sort of went my own way a bit and just discovered the world. And I was very proud to be Jewish. Didn't really attend synagogue much anymore, but uh, I knew that I was Jewish and I loved Israel. I visited Israel the first time when I was 14 and I just fell in love with Israel. It's wonderful. And I went back every few years ever since. So it's lovely. And then I just went my own way. And then just very quickly to share with you how the Lord Jesus led me to him as a Jew. I was married before and it wasn't going well. That was the very painful time in my life when my first marriage wasn't working out. And in that pain and struggle, I was searching for God. And I just knew that there was something in the faith of Christians I'd met my sister, she had gone forward in a church service at Christmas time, a Christmas carol service. She'd gone forward for a blessing. And I was thinking, what's she doing? She's Jewish. Why is she going forward for a blessing? So she actually came to faith just before me. And that inspired me. Also, my first wife was a Christian and I could see she had faith in Jesus. So I hadn't got faith as strong at that time. I didn't have a personal faith in a personal savior. So I was kind of jealous. And it says in Romans 11 that That's Jewish right. people will be envious of the faith of Christians. And I was. And then I ended up in a church just searching in this painful time in my life. And I did an alpha course in this church. And on the prayer day, I remember distinctly that someone prayed for me. And then I felt the peace and the joy of God come right into me and just overflow from me. It was an amazing experience. I knew this was something special from this prayer in the name of Jesus. But I was still scared to read the New Testament because Jewish people are told, you know, not to read the New Testament. But I took courage. I prayed. I read the New Testament. And I met with Jesus, this beautiful man who was absolutely amazing. Just from the words of reading the New Testament, I could sense that this is either true or it's the biggest hoax and lie in history. And in my mind, I knew at that point, this is probably true. He's the Messiah. And how did my Jewish people miss him? Suddenly I had loads of questions. How did my Jewish people miss Jesus at the time? Of course, I know now that Jewish people were expecting a king to rule in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. They're expecting the Messiah to be a king, as is prophesied. But they didn't know he was going to come first as a suffering servant, although that's also prophesied. Let's uh, have a, a track from an album made by Jews for Jesus called Praise and Glory. And this one is called Solomon's Prayer.
is good to praise you, Lord, and make music to your name. Proclaim your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night. Okay, well that was Solomon's Prayer there from uh, an album entitled Praise and Glory and it was made by Jews for Jesus where Barry and Alison ended up working. So basically, after I'd received that prayer and felt God's peace and joy and read the New Testament, then I came across the biggest obstacle that Jewish people come across. I thought, well, I think this is true. In fact, I know it's true, but I'm Jewish and I'm afraid that I'll be betraying my people if I become a Christian. I thought wrongly at the time 
that I would be converting and I would lose my Jewish identity. So I was very scared. I didn't know what to do because I'm Jewish and now I'm believing in Jesus. I was really stuck. And then I heard a testimony by a wonderful lady called Helen Shapiro, who many of you will have heard of, who's a singer. And uh, she has a wonderful Jewish testimony of how she came to faith in Jesus. When I heard that testimony, she said she was afraid also of being a betrayer, a traitor to her people, the Jewish people. But friends encouraged her that you are still Jewish when you believe in Jesus. Those are the words I had to hear, friends. Those are the words that completely changed my life. That was the key. Once I knew I could still be Jewish and believe in Jesus, then the way was open to freedom. And I gave my life to Jesus. I said sorry for my sins and I stepped into freedom. That was 20 years ago. It was just wonderful. Now, fast forward a, a lot after that, right up to 10 years ago, just before that, when I met Alison. So as Nick asked me, I was at that time volunteering in Jews for Jesus in London. And the Lord had led me to volunteer in mission there. And I went to the Hanukkah party, which Alison explained was the feast of dedication that's mentioned by Jesus. And there she was, this lovely lady hiding in the kitchen. <laughs> and we had a lovely chat. And well, the rest is history, really. We married 10 years ago. So hallelujah and uh, I praise the Lord for bringing me my lovely Alison those days you were living actually down in North London and working on the streets with Jews for Jesus so yes we got married 10 years ago and then we applied as a married couple and started working with Jews for Jesus we began with six months training in New York which was an experience it's quite difficult to do it very nice do, yes I didn't really like New York it has to be said but um, yeah great food and great shopping but uh, it was quite tricky so we did six months in New York and came back to London so our work did have a lot of street evangelism so we would go out onto the streets wearing t-shirts things like jesus made me kosher most people immediately think of the food that jewish people can't eat but actually kosher means in hebrew made acceptable to god so the t-shirt really said jesus makes me acceptable to god which obviously is true for everybody and the t-shirts are really used as a hook to try and get people to stop and talk with us we give out gospel literature and we try and engage people in conversation with the idea that certainly if we meet Jewish people who are interested in what we're saying, that they'll meet for one-to-one conversations later. Barry's passion about street evangelism is very good at it. I'm passionate about discipleship one-to-one, so I did a lot of meeting with ladies. Obviously, I met with ladies and Barry would meet with gentlemen. A lot of Bible study. I ate a lot of cake and drank a lot of tea. People seem to want to feed me, Nick. I can't imagine why. But anyway, (laughs) I'm not moaning about it at all. And so I would meet between eight and ten ladies a week, do a couple by Skype, and then do the rest in person, ranging from people who just were beginning to investigate the possibility of Jesus through to unbelievers wanting Bible study through to Jewish believers who really didn't know any of the Jewish believers and were maybe in churches that didn't ever really talk about the Jewish side of things and wanted to have that as a reference point. And I would do Bible study with them. And even though we're no longer with Jews at the moment, I'm still meeting some of those ladies and Skyping with them and doing Bible study with them. So amazing, yes. So Barry, you were doing some similar sort of thing, I'm guessing. That's right, Nick. I was mainly on the streets, though. And um, I have to say, as some people will realise this, that when I was so joyfully sharing the good news of Yeshua, of Jesus, with my Jewish people and the gospel, unfortunately, the response wasn't quite as nice as I was hoping So I have to explain that a lot of Jewish people, in fact, most Jewish people feel very threatened by the gospel. And this is because over thousands of years since Jesus, there's been this terrible legacy of Christian anti-Semitism where so-called Christians. It's it's shameful. I agree. 
have forcibly converted, persecuted, and killed Jews in the name of Jesus. What a sad, sad thing. And so Jewish people are very, very wary of Christians trying to convert them because they fear that they'll lose their Jewish identity. Now, the truth is that you don't lose your Jewish identity. In fact, it's completed and enhanced and fulfilled. But most Jewish people don't know that. So when I was on the streets with my T-shirt, Jews for Jesus, that was immediately a signal to many Jewish people. Oh, my goodness, they're out to convert us. And they got very, very upset. And there was a lot of anger. And me and my teams did suffer quite a bit of persecution at times. Very angry shouting, sometimes spitting. In other countries, there's been hitting and yeah. uh, it's been tough. It's I'm been guessing tough. that would be probably worse, more direct than for you than for, for Alison. Being a man, mm. you would get hostility, and that hostility could sometimes result in violence. You're a brave man to be out on the streets of New York, where there is a very high Jewish population. That's right. Let's have a, another song now from that Jews for Jesus album called Praise and Glory. This one is called Never Forget.
Okay, well, that one is from the LP Praise and Glory by uh, the Jews for Jesus band, and that's called Never Forget. Well, let's come up to the present day now. You say you're not with Jews for Jesus anymore. Tell us how the Lord has guided your life over the past few years and what your vision is, because I know a little bit of this. I'm very, very excited for you, so I'm sure you're even more excited. Go for it. Okay, thank you, Nick. Well, as I talked about at Bible College, I knew I was called to the Middle East. Then God revealed it was indeed Israel. And we knew that in the next decade or so, we would do the move. And initially, we were looking to move 2013. We felt that God was telling us that now was the time. I've since learned, Nick, that now in God's timing is not quite the same as now in my timing. I probably need to have a word with him about this. I suppose when you yes. hold all eternity, now is a, a very different understanding. We basically sold up everything in London. We gave up our rented flat, got rid of our furniture. We had been doing some campaigns with Jews for Jesus all over the world. We've been very privileged to go and do mission all over the world. As you say, we've been to New York. We've been to South Africa couple of times and we've done mission in Israel and Barry's been in Germany and Poland and Russia and Ukraine. So we went to Israel, we were doing a, an outreach in the south in the Besheva area and I say unfortunately but you know God knows what he's doing. Barry got arrested for witnessing. Ooh. Basically he got arrested for holding a banner on a hilltop. Just to clarify as well that mission is not illegal in Israel, it, it's perfectly legal. You cannot witness to children under 18, which is how it is in Britain, or solicit. So the rules are the same as they are in the UK. But unfortunately, when Barry was arrested, he was the only non-Israeli in the team. And because it, obviously it wasn't illegal, they couldn't arrest the Israelis. Barry ended up being in prison for four days and then being deported. And uh, we were trying to work out how on earth we emigrate if you have been deported. And God was just very clear about how his call to us for Israel was what he had in plan. And we got back home and we were homeless because we'd given up the flat. And so we stayed with some friends for eight months who were amazing. And while we waited on God and we went through a court case, which went all the way through to the Supreme Court in Jerusalem. And unfortunately, we didn't win the case, which we were a little bit surprised at because we, we know we're, we're moving to Israel at some point. But uh, God has a way it has to be done for his glory amazingly so we did get Barry back in the country for a couple of weeks and consulted new lawyers who said of course you can emigrate this is not a problem which was news to us Nick because pretty much everybody was saying it's not possible and we were just like but God you're saying so one of the things that the lawyers advised was actually it's very difficult for a Messianic Jew to emigrate if they're in mission even though mission isn't illegal and it's not a basis for not allowing citizenship, it makes life a lot more complicated. And so for that reason, we came out of frontline mission. Jews just do an amazing job with evangelism, but we have more of a vision for church planting when we finally get to Israel. So we came out of frontline mission and have should have gone undercover, Nick, for a yes. couple of years. <sighs> Uh, came back to Liverpool, uh, who are currently both supply teaching, and I have just got my Israeli citizenship, which is miraculous and amazing, and we're just waiting for God to open the door for Barry. So one down and one to go. Right, so even though your mother isn't Jewish, you've got Israeli citizenship. Is that because your father was Jewish? Or? Yes. There are three tiers of citizenship. It's quite complicated. Everybody refers to it as making Aliyah, yes. which means going up, because for those people who don't know, Jewish on the hill, and the road that you take from the airport is this road up through the yes. hills it's an amazing thing. If you haven't been to Israel yet, I heartily recommend going. But the first tier is if you're, your mother's Jewish, you automatically have the right to live in Israel. But if you're a Messianic Jew, the form actually asks, do you believe in Jesus? I mean, the law changed probably about 20, 30 years ago. It was just a bloodline thing. Now it's, do you believe in Jesus? If you say yes, they will throw out your citizenship. So tens of thousands of Messianic Jews actually cannot get back into the country to live because they won't lie on the form and they will admit to Jesus. 
Now, because my father's Jewish, the second tier is they have what they call the law of return. That means that if you have one Jewish grandparent or more, you will have the right to live in Israel. And it's based on Hitler's definition of what a Jew was. He said you were Jewish if you had one Jewish grandparent. And so the law of return means you have sanctuary in Israel. And so technically from the state of Israel, they don't consider me Jewish because it's only my father. God does, of course, but there's no sticky questions about ah, Jesus right, on the I form. Ah, so I got him under the law of return. Pretty so crafty. God's very, very creative. When I thought about it later, my parents were married in 1969. He knew then that it was important my father married someone who wasn't Jewish because yeah. he knew that I would need to get into Israel later on. He's a wonderful God. Amazing, amazing planning, Hey. Well, let's sit now hear this amazing story of Barry being arrested and deported. Now, that sounds pretty hairy. Go on. Yes, it was pretty hairy, Nick. Alison and myself went out in 2013 to do a campaign with Jews for Jesus in the south of Israel, the Negev Desert. There'd been lots of campaigns before and nothing like this had ever happened before. So what happened was I was with a team of four on the day, three Israelis and me, and we were holding a banner at a a busy road junction outside Beersheva in the south. And the banner said, Yeshu equals Yeshua equals Yeshua. And in English, that would be Yeshu is an abbreviation for may his name be blotted out. And that is how the Orthodox ah, an Jews insult, yeah, see yeah. Jesus, exactly. I it's see. an insult. It's how the Orthodox Jews see Jesus because of all the terrible persecution in the name of Jesus. So that's Yeshu equals Yeshua, which is Jesus' name in Hebrew, equals Yeshua, which is the feminine form of Yeshua, and it means salvation. So the banner mm. read, may his name be blotted out, equals Jesus, equals salvation. So it was a message. So message it was good. Very friendly message to yeah, people of Israel. Yeah, not at all threatening. No, but of course it is seen as threatening, as I explained before, by Jewish people who feel that this is a real threat to the Jewish identity and to the Jewish soul. So what happened is suddenly a van load of immigration officers turned up and interviewed us all. And as I say, this had never happened before. And they let the three Israelis go because they're Israelis. They're citizens. They couldn't touch them. But they took me away in the van to a centre and they interrogated me. It was quite horrible with lots of nastiness and lots of questions. And one very angry interviewer who just screamed at me. It was really horrible. And then they eventually said, right, we're taking you to Ramla Givon. And I didn't know what they were talking about. And one of the nasty guards said, it's a prison. And he laughed. And I thought, this is ridiculous, like being in a film or something. I just held a banner on the street. And they took me to prison and they'd accused me of, first of all, doing illegal evangelism, which wasn't true. And then they'd accused me of working illegally, which wasn't true. And finally, after a long court case, it turned out that they accused me of not having a volunteer permit which was true. I didn't have a volunteer permit, but nobody has a volunteer permit to go to Israel and do any kind of activity. So it was just a trumped up charge. Now, when I got to the prison, you can imagine I really wasn't expecting this and I had no idea how long I was going to be in there. And it was horrible. And I was actually quite scared. I'd love to say at this point, Nick, that my wonderful faith in God was so strong that I was peaceful and knew that everything would be all right. But instead of praying, first of all, I panicked. (laughs) So my Christian maturity wasn't quite as mature as I thought. But God, in his merciful kindness and love, he just calmed me down. And eventually I prayed and he just answered that prayer. I said, Lord, get me out of here. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And he did in four days. It wasn't so long. But before that, he had me visit some of the other people in the prison because there was about 60 people in the unit where I was. 
And they were all from people from abroad on visa charges. And it turned out there were 10 other Christians in the prison. How about that? So <laughs> Fantastic. The Lord, Fantastic. The Lord was looking after me. And one of those 10 Christians was a pastor, would you believe, from Nigeria, a lovely man who'd been there a very long time and looked after all the other prisoners. Very similar to a man called Joseph in the Bible there. Exactly, you know, yeah. Who looked Super. after the, And God was looking after me. And then pastor gave me a Bible because I hadn't got the Bible or anything. They, t- they take everything away from you when you go into prison. And the Bible was just the New Testament and it was split into several languages and I said to the Lord what's going on I I wanted the whole Bible Lord that was my Christian maturity again Nick but the Lord had me realize then that in my cell there were people from China Russia there were Arabs there were people from Africa and I had the perfect Bible with all these languages to witness to yes isn't that wonderful? The Lord had me working, witnessing in the prison, so it kept me busy. Apart from also playing table tennis and winning at chess against the champion there, although he was asleep at the time. He kept me going for the four days. I'll hand over to Alison, because meanwhile, all hell was breaking loose. Alison. Just to say, we had amazing prayer cover. Barry did manage to borrow a phone to ring me a couple of times during the time he was in prison. And every time he talked to me, I was able to tell him how many more thousand people were praying. I mean, we knew of at least 10,000 people praying for him all over the world, which was just incredible and gave such comfort to know that things were taken care of. It might not have felt under control from our end, but God certainly had it all under control. Fantastic. When we went to the prison the first day, we got Barry a lawyer and basically they told me that either I had to give his passport off immediately and he'd be deported straight away or he could be in prison for quite a long time, many months maybe. And I was mulling this over, which may sound really callous, but I was really thinking about the call and God had promised that we were moving to Israel. And I was just really conscious of trying to make the right choice. And I felt that both choices were wrong, but I didn't have a third option. So in the end, I gave the passport to the lawyer and I and my friend, we drove back to the kibbutz, which was about three hours away. And all the way home, I knew I'd made the wrong decision. But I was saying to God, well, you didn't give me option number three. And no one could tell me what option number three was. We were listening to Hebrew radio and it was a talk radio station. And suddenly the song came on. So that was unusual. And then it, it turned out the song was in English. And then I realized what the song was. And I said to my friend, do you know what this song is? And he said no, and it was You'll Never Walk Alone. Uh. And even though I'm not a Liverpool supporter, of course, I'm a Liverpool girl born and bred, and it is the anthem of our city, and uh, I couldn't quite believe what I was hearing and just such words of comfort from God. And I knew then I was probably the only scouser in Israel needing to hear that song at the time. It's totally amazing. When we got back to the kibbutz, the phone rang, and the lawyer told us, think you've just changed miraculously the magistrate will see Barry and you know the deportation isn't happening just at the moment and they were trying to con Barry into signing the deportation order which he didn't but amazing stuff because option three was literally suddenly on the table for us it's a fantastic story let's have another piece of music because you enter into a prison this song is by Paul Wilbur who's a very well-known Messianic Jewish worship leader it's called I Enter the Holy of Holies they probably didn't feel like that in prison Barry (laughs) but uh, let's listen to Paul Wilbur and the alternative title is For Your Name is Holy
It's a very well-known track there by Paul Wilbur. For your name is holy, or I enter the holy of holies. Well, you've entered prison, and you got out safely. Alison has her Israeli citizenship, but you can't get yours yet. But things are changing. We do believe that we're going to be moving to Israel at some point, and we're in this period of waiting, which we're both very impatient people. We struggle with that period of just waiting for God, but we do believe that it's now, and uh, we're going to be able to get Barry back in. We're doing a lot of praying, Nick. Lots of yeah. praying. And what's your vision when you get out to Israel? You talked about church planting. What do you exactly mean by that? That's right, Nick. God's clearly given us this vision over many years that we'll be going to Jerusalem and we'll be planting a church there. It's very exciting. And the church will be for Jews and Arabs together, one new man. Fantastic. Fantastic, yeah. according to Ephesians 2, of course. Yep. And it will have a lot of challenges, obviously. We're excited and also very aware of how much the need for prayer is. And um, I'm absolutely amazed at how God at the moment is building up prayer support for us. We've had many people come forward who say they want to pray into the ministry we'll have. And they've started to pray for us and they're praying for streets in Jerusalem, for areas of Jerusalem. We've asked people to pray for Jerusalem, according to Psalm 122. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And it's wonderful how people are coming forward and they're praying. And we know that there'll need to be an enormous amount of prayer because the spiritual warfare over Jerusalem is massive. For anyone who's been to yeah. Israel and been to Jerusalem will know that there's a huge spiritual warfare, particularly over Jerusalem. My feeling was it was a very religious city in the way that Tel Aviv was very modern and high-tech. You didn't get the impression it was still in any way religious. Jerusalem mm. is a totally different kettle of fish. And obviously it's the battleground of the world. I believe it's God's barometer of what's going on in the world. It's very, very exciting. Yeah, yeah it's, it's really exciting. We're four years into the emigration, Nick, since God said now. But the conviction grows. We've experienced what look like setbacks, certainly, but obviously God's perfect plan and perfect timing. But the conviction grows stronger and stronger, and it really drives us. So we are so excited about what God's going to do. And we can't really see why he's picked two middle-aged people, although our voices sound very young, but we are both middle-aged. <laughs> and um, I'm just learning Hebrew, and Barry's Hebrew. He can order falafel, so he's pretty good on that. <laughs> but um, why would God pick two middle-aged English people to go and do this? We don't know, but he picked the weak of the world to go and do remarkable things through him. So we're really looking forward to it. Barry's reapplication is due at some point? We're not sure yet. We're just waiting, waiting. on God and just for the timing for that. Presumably that's why you've left Jews for Jesus as a ministry, although I know your heart is with them in what they're doing, because you don't necessarily want to be tied to what is seen to be an evangelistic or mission organisation. Because we have lawyers, and we're very grateful for our believing lawyers, advising us that actually it's a serious hindrance to citizenship for both of us, so we, we had to come out of frontline ministry. So primary school teachers in, yes. in Liverpool, which is great. It's subterfuge. <laughs> yeah. Well, the Bible says to be as wise as serpents and innocent as Absolutely. doves, and uh, it's clear that's what you're doing. Well, this is very, very exciting, and uh, of course, if the Lord Jesus comes back very soon, who knows? You'll be just in the right place, exactly, because He's not coming back into Birkenhead or Liverpool <laughs> or New York or anywhere else other than the city where the Lord has placed yeah. His name. We're going to have a last piece of music. I know what this means in Hebrew: Baruch Haba B'Shem Adonai. 
die. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Is that correct? That's right. And um, blessed be those in Jerusalem who will be saved under your ministry because you are going in the name of the Lord Jesus and uh, you will be blessed. And we have Barry and Alison Barnett in the studio today. Alison's from Liverpool, Barry's from North London, but they're both Jewish and they both want to go to Israel to plant a church there. So to all our listeners, pray, 
Pray get involved with uh, Alison and Barry. Please get in touch with House at Flame and me in particular and I will give you details of how you can support Alison and Barry and give prayer support, even financial support. Whatever support you can give, will, I know will be appreciated. And But prayer is the thing that will open the door. Alison's joint Israeli passport. Ah, uh, yes, dual citizenship. Yeah, OK. And once Barry's got that, then uh, they will be out to uh, Jerusalem to plant this church. Prayer is the big deal for us. So we have a vision to raise 100,000 intercessors nick whoa there's a lot of people because we really believe that how on earth are we going to start anything in jerusalem as i say but two middle-aged people and we need all the help we can get and we really feel that the prayers of god's people are, are such a powerhouse and we would love people to be praying for jerusalem for the city if they feel moved by the spirit that they would like to pray for a particular area we're sectioning off the city and allocating streets and geographical bits to people if they'd like to get involved with that to pray or just to pray for us generally just for obviously for Barry's citizenship at some point that needs to for God to open the door at the right time for that also just to pray for God to guide us and keep showing us exactly what he wants us to do in Israel because as we all know if we go to Israel in our own strength we'll be in big trouble and the Bible tells you of people who tried things in their own strength and it didn't really work so we want to be guided every single step of the way by exactly what God wants us to do so do pray for clarity for us and and do keep praying for the peace of Jerusalem as well it's a biblical Um, mandate we have to and there's a joy and blessing Nick isn't there when you pray for the peace of Jerusalem God smiles and there's a joy and blessing for you it's been uh, a blessing listening to you two talk today and uh, thank thank you so much for coming to Flame and being in chat room we'll keep in touch with you and hope our listeners have been inspired to do what you say to pray for jerusalem in general and the jewish people to salvation and also for alison and barry in their attempts to to go out to jerusalem thank you for being with us today barry and alison barnett thank you thank you okay so i'm going to sing the ironica but this is from numbers chapter six Ya adnai panavaka vi hunecha Ye said on I panavalecha Vaya semlecha Shalom Which means may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord cause his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. And may the Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you the most perfect shalom. Peace. Amen. Shema Adonai
Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Close the chat room door, but please tune in next time to Flame CCR on 1521 Medium Wave for more from Green Door Studios chat room. Green Door! We hope you enjoyed this program, which is under the copyright of Wirral Christian Media Limited. Details of the Flame CCR broadcasts and webcasts are on our website, www.flameradio.org. Thank you for listening. Flame.